My guest today has analyzed 25,000 meetings booked across 2.5 million cold calls at his company, Abstract Marketing. We're going to get into the learnings from those calls and tactical things that you can take away as a rep or as a sales leader leading teams of reps making cold calls. Before we get into that, thanks for checking out Outbound Squad. My name is Jason Bay. You can call me J-Bay. If you're an SDR or BDR that's being tasked with making cold calls, sending cold emails, and you're on a path to become an account executive in the next 12 months or less, you're definitely in the right place. And if you're an account executive doing full cycle sales, you know, looking to build some of those foundational sales skills, level up your income, and uh, you know, get some tips and tricks on how to self-source your own pipeline, you're in the right place as well. I'm talking to Eric Watkins. He's the president at Abstract Marketing Group. And if I'm looking at the stats correctly, yes, it was in the last six months as of recording this, 2.5 million calls, 25,000 appointments. There's a couple things that we dig into around these stats that I think are very interesting. One, he talks about the fact that you're three times more likely to get a decision maker on the phone when you have their name. So knowing who you want to ask for in advance, especially when you get the wrong person on the phone. We talk about what the ideal length of a cold call is. We talk about what length uh, the cold call is up to the point of its most effective conversion rate and where you start to see diminishing returns. So in other words, how long is too long? We talk about scaling messaging. We talk about running call centers, trends. I mean, this is a It's a pretty good one. Eric's a super good dude, and he's been with Abstract since he was an intern, (laughs) so like 10 years ago. He's got a pretty cool journey. So without further ado, here's the interview with Eric. Before you check it out, if you could, if you're in Spotify or Apple Podcasts, give the show a quick like or review. It helps us get more eyes and ears on what we're doing. All right, here we go. So we met in a way that I don't normally meet people that I go on their podcasts or have them, you know, come on mine or whatever. And um, you originally came through the website and it was like, hey, we're doing some cool things. I like your content. Think it might be kind of cool to collab. We had a couple of sales calls, you know, that sort of thing. Is that how you normally get your way onto people's podcasts or what? <laughs> you know, not not necessarily. Um, I have to say I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So like I, I've been following your content for a while and I think you're one of the one of, if not the go-to people to listen to in sales development and figured I'd reach out. And, uh, you know, we were, we're starting our podcast here, the grow show that you were on a couple of weeks ago. So go check out that episode if you can. Um, but it just made sense. I was like, you know what, I'm going to chop it up with Jason and then, you know, we'll probably end up doing business together in the future in some way, shape or form, but just some really good conversations so far. So I'm glad I did. Slid yeah, into yeah. <laughs> yeah, he slid into my DMs, man. <laughs> the uh, the thing that I learned in our first call together, I thought was really interesting, is you know, did a little bit of LinkedIn research, of course, you know, like you're supposed to before a sales call, and I was like, wow, this guy started as an intern, and now he's the president of this company. So what's the what's the story behind that? How did you become an intern? How did you hear about Abstract? And this was, I think, over ten years ago, right? Yeah, over ten years. So little bit about Abstract. We've been around for 14 years and what we do is sales development. So essentially everything leading up to you sitting across from a qualified sales meeting 
is what we focus on. And, you know, we started at zero dollars and our uh, our owner, we didn't take any outside funding and our uh, our partners and owners of the company, you know, they were they ran and operated many successful businesses before this. And what they realized in all the businesses, they were like, what, were, what are we best at? Like, what is the thing that we are absolutely best at? Because that's what we should do for our next company. And what they realized was building a predictable sales pipeline. So they said, why don't we start a company around that? So 2009, they they funded or uh, founded Abstract. And uh, we were one of, you know, I'm not going to say we were the first, but we were one of the first that really started the sales development as a service specifically over the phone. And so around, it was 2012. Um, I had, I needed an internship. So I had, uh, I was at University of Missouri. I had one semester left and I had to get my internship to graduate. And I was looking at companies and I heard that they had a pool table here. So I was like, you know what? That sounds like a cool place. You know, they say millennials don't get attracted by all those fun things. Well, it worked on me uh, for sure. So started here as an intern, didn't really want to get into sales. Um, My degree was in marketing and I kind of like most marketing majors, I kind of envisioned, you know, I'm going to sit in a boardroom and think about creative ideas and jingles for things. Right. So in my internship, it was an, it was an operations internship. So I started on the data side of our company, but I had the opportunity to work with our call center director at the time who was over, you know, our company was about three, $4 million. We had about 40 ish employees and we had about 25 to 30 in the call center. And uh, I really fell in love with it. I fell in love with the metrics, the analytics, the way having the right data makes a campaign more successful. Um, So when it was time to go back to college, you know, it being a fast, small, growing company, I picked up all these jobs and tasks that somebody had to do, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I was able to work remotely. And then uh, I ended up, after I graduated, I started full-time in January 2013. So then I start and I start with what I was doing in my internship, which was operations and building the data. And then I sort of like push my way into the implementation calls, which is the the onboarding of all of our new clients. And, and specifically yeah. what I did is, uh, you know, I, I ran the portion about the data, their target list. And I love learning about the clients, their client base and how, to, how do you reverse engineer the perfect target list to go after. So I did that got more and more comfortable communicating with clients and eventually took over implementations and started running those calls in addition to what I was doing with data. So I really love the communication with clients. And that, that wasn't something I was planning on doing, but just kind of getting into it, something I fell in love with. So then uh, it was about maybe two years into my career. Uh, I was about 24, 25 at the time. And my CEO came to me and said, hey, we need, a, we need another partner sales manager. I said, all right, who, who are we looking at? Because I know you're not asking me to be the partner sales manager. He's like, no, we think you'd be great at it. You know, the position at the time, you managed accounts and people. Uh, people do making cold calls, setting appointments, B2B. Yeah. And, uh, but I'd never done that. I'd never set, made a cold call before, but I love the client side of, of it. So he said, although you're, you're comfortable, you love operations, this is an opportunity for you to really take your skill set to the next level. So went into this role, not really thinking it was the right fit for me and uh, got kicked in the teeth, right? I struggled as most people do when they take on their first management position, let alone sales development reps. Um, 
But the first thing I had to do was get some credibility. So I had to learn how to cold call. So it's kind of humbling to learn how to cold call in front of a team of people that are already really good at it. So did that, was able to be successful. And then, uh, you know, the, the job just ended up being a really good fit for me. So about 15 months in, kind of went through the same scenario of we needed a director of the sales center. And yeah. before this time, we had gone through four directors at this point over the course of our probably five, six years. And all of them, 15, 20, 25 years of experience in, in sales and sales development. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not really feeling like I'm the, I'm the most qualified to take on this position, yeah. but I was the first person to ever play that role that I would be managing. And so that's really a big theme here within abstract in general of, you know, we, we promote from internally primarily and being able to really develop and train your team based on actually having lived that role and do that has been invaluable. So then from there, uh, just through growth, you know, we hired our VP of sales at that time. And then through growth, that position turned into a VP role. And now I had to, instead of managing managers, I'm managing managers of managers, which is a whole whole different ball game. Um, but was able to be surrounded by incredible team members who are all part of my executive team now who started kind of in those ranks and uh, was able to, in, in 2019, uh, was able to work my way into president. And then as, as president, you know, I took over in addition to the uh, fulfillment of our product and the partner success side, I took on operations, I took on sales, sales enablement. You know, I managed our web development side of the company um, for a little bit as well, training, quality. And uh, then COVID hit in, in March of 2020, and it was like, welcome to president. So um, but yeah. we were able to get through that, and we're, we're doing well as an organization right now. And it's just something that, you know, if I can do it, I truly feel like anybody can do it. You know, I just worked really hard, and I never said no to an opportunity, and I tried to have a good attitude with what came about. But that's kind of how I ended up in this seat. Yeah. What what did the leadership see in you when you were younger that you did not see in yourself? So I think um, that's a great question. I, I think I was very good at like, you know, if you have thought, I know a lot of people have anxiety or imposter syndrome or thoughts. Yeah. I was really good about having those thoughts in my head, but what I portrayed outside, you know, if people would be like, oh, there's no way he doubts himself or would, you know, that he, he communicates so well in front of a group, he's probably never nervous at all. So I think they saw that side of me. And then internally, I was always my harshest critic, which I'm a big believer in your biggest strength is your biggest weakness, like always yeah. kind of the yin and the yang. So because I'm my harshest critic, I read books weekly, like as many books and content and podcasts and things that I could do to make sure that I got into a spot where I felt like, you know, I was not only deserving of the role, I could perform at a high level. Yeah. It's interesting. I asked that question because people talk about blind spots a lot, but they don't talk about the good blinds. Like, well, it's not good blind spots. The blind spots that are your good qualities that you've always had them. So you don't really think about that. You know, I, I see a lot of reps in positions now that want to get into leadership. And I think it's good for them to kind of be aware of how other people see them, you know, their strengths and, and, uh, they're good qualities. And you mentioned anxiety. I mean, that's, we had to reschedule this interview because I had a bit of a, you know, 
two or three weeks ago or whenever it was where I was like dealing with a shit ton of anxiety, you know, and, and, um, you sent me a really great email back, man. I told my wife about it. I was like, dude, Eric seems like an awesome dude. (laughs) You're like, Hey, I've been there, man. And, and, you know, and do you have any advice for someone that's a sales rep or a sales leader that might deal with anxiety and like what's worked for you? Sure. Well, first off, it's normal. I have it. You have it. We're both pretty successful individuals. So I think it's important for people to know that you're not alone, right? If, if you're yeah. doing, if you're going through anything or dealing with anything. Um, second thing is, you know, I, I would say it's how you word it in your head first. So I don't like using the words dealing with or suffering from or et cetera, because, and I don't want to minimalize it either, right? That's not yeah. my intent, but I think it's actually my biggest strength. And I, I hit on it a little bit, but what what anxiety is to me is hyper awareness. The people that probably don't suffer from anxiety, uh, well, not this, this is a very big blanket statement. I probably shouldn't say that, but <laughs> I feel like a lot of uh, some of the people who don't suffer from or deal with anxiety, it's because they maybe don't, aren't aware to certain things, and they're just kind of in the moment. Lucky them, super jealous of that. Um, but what what my anxiety does for me is I'm always looking around the corner. So in a position, like I think part of the only reason actually I was able to advance as quickly as I was is because I was always looking, I was always looking further than like good just wasn't good enough. I was always looking for ways to improve and get better. So I think it's, it's a superpower really, if you channel it in the best direction and a lot of our successful sales reps are, are wired similarly as me. And I think if you can get, there's a hump that you have to get over to be yeah. comfortable to a certain extent. But once you get over that, that hump, those are the rock stars. Like those are the individuals that I think are, are some of the best salespeople out there. Yeah. I don't know why I thought of, yo, X-Men, is it Cyclops? The dude that has the freaking things that come like the lasers that yeah. come out. Is that his name? Cyclops? Yeah. Something like <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, what I thought about with him is like, that's a superpower, but it's like really debilitating for him if he doesn't know how to use right. it, you know, and that's such a great perspective. I've never really thought about, cause that's sort of the definition of anxiety is like hyper fixating on the future, you know, right. and the fact that you are actually thinking about it because that's, I don't know. I always think of the word balance cause there's so much sales content that's like, do this or that. And I don't know what you found in your career, but what I have found is everything is a balance. You have to think about the past and reflect on that. You should be present, but you should also think about the future a bit, not too much, but you shouldn't think about the past. You know, it's just like, you should do a little bit of everything, you know? And that's kind of what I thought about with that. Like the self-talk is so interesting. You know, how you talk to yourself. That's probably my biggest takeaway from therapy, honestly, is just the narrative that you tell yourself around what it is that you're, um, you know, you mentioned not using the phrase dealing with or suffering from like little stuff like that so that you don't focus on something or try to look at it as something that's debilitating. Right. You know, and looking and you, you know, ex- everybody has their, their good days and their bad days and it's yeah. easier said than done. Um, but I, I do think there's a lot to it. I do think it's a lot with how you frame it to yourself because then you project that, right? You project yeah. that into the world. One last question around this, and we'll get into some of the cool sure. data that you have is, do you talk pretty openly 
to your team about this stuff? Do you show any kind of vulnerability in this area with your team? Yeah. And I, I think I could do more and I, and I probably plan to do more. I think it's not lack of wanting to be transparent. It's more of just, um, part of my anxiety is I'm always moving forward. Right. And, uh, focused on the mission and the task at hand. And I think I, uh, I could be a bigger voice for this for sure. Um, and because it, it's whether it's anxiety or something, everybody's going through something and we're all just humans at the end of the day. And, you know, if we can tap in to what makes us the best individual possible in order to serve others, it's going to leave us all in a better place. Yeah, definitely. So you shared something before we hit record and you have some interesting data from the last six months, 2.5 million cold calls million that your team calls. has made. <laughs> with an M, <laughs> 25,000 appointments landed. And um, there's some interesting stuff that you found. So I'll let you take it from there. What is some of the stuff when you're looking through this data, what really stuck out to you? Um, sure. Prized you in a good or a bad way? Yeah. Uh, in some, well, I guess I'll start with, you know, we have, this is across, I look just at our client side of the business, not the appointments we're setting for ourselves. So it's probably 35,000 if we're looking at everything. But just for the client side of our business over the past six months, 25,000 appointments. These are set with companies of all sizes. We have Fortune 1000 companies we're working for. We have a lot of small to medium sized businesses that we're working for as well. It's all B2B and it's all uh, primarily focused around services or products, right? Primarily services in a lot of different industries. Um, but we're typically targeting, I think it's safe to say, a million dollars and up in revenue for all these prospects, just to get a little idea on the data set. And if anybody wants to reach out to me to get more details, feel free to. Um, okay, so this, this is interesting. And, and some of this is like, duh, but it, over such a big sample size, it, it puts a number to it. First thing is, you know, one thing we track is getting to a key decision maker. What percent of the time do we get to a key decision maker? So typically our percentage is around 8.1% over this series of calls. 8.1%, we're going to get a decision maker to actually pick up and answer the phone. If we know the decision maker is the decision maker, meaning we qualified ahead of time, we confirmed it with a gatekeeper, whatever it may be, we are three and a half times more likely to get them on the call. So if what this tells me is if you're calling and you're asking, hey, can I speak with the person that makes the decisions versus using a name? You're three and a half times less likely to get them on the phone. So I think that's super important. The other one that stuck out to me is over these 25,000 appointments, 80% were within the range of four to six minutes, which is kind of like, okay, I would assume so that that makes sense that the, the major majority but if you actually look, we look at it, we looked at it in brackets. So zero to one minutes, one to two minutes, two to three, three to four, four to five, and five plus. And when you look at it, our close rate, which is our conversion of when we have a pitch. So if we actually get into a conversation, what percentage of the time do we set an appointment with that prospect? One to two, zero to one minutes, zero point something percent. Someone somehow set like a 30 second meeting. Don't know how they do it. I should look at it. They show? It. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe they probably didn't know what was going on though. Yeah. Um, one to two minutes, one point six two percent close rate. So very low close rate. Kind of makes sense. 
Two to three minutes, it goes up to 6.11% close rate. Three to four minutes, it goes to 18.13% close rate. And I'm throwing a lot of the numbers out here. I hope you all are following. Four to five minutes, it jumps up to 31.21. And then if we keep them on the phone for greater than five minutes, we have a 60% close rate, which when I looked at these numbers and been doing, I've been in this industry forever, I, I did not expect that. And, and that just tells me when you're trying to set appointments, the name of the game is to get into a conversation, keep the prospect on the call. Yeah. Okay. There's so much there. Uh, do you guys use any kind of conversational intelligence tool on the recording side? Yeah, we use uh, we use Chorus on our yeah. in our uh, sister company currently, and we're we're looking at an engagement tool on our side as well. I'm actually in that sales process right now. Got it. Okay, because this the reason I ask is this aligns really well with, um, like I'm looking at. Let me just pull it up. You know, I'm a bit of a numbers person too. Yeah. So, yeah, their data says the average successful cold call lasts seven point five minutes. And I'm like, wow, you know, like the longer the call, you know, sort of thing. Um, the average connected cold call duration is only 80 seconds, you know, and it tells me that a lot of the unsuccessful calls. OK, cool. They don't last as long. But what's really interesting is to kind of peel back that onion a bit. And how do we get someone to stay on the call longer with us? Right. And I've talked to you right. about this. So I know you guys have a very refined process, but. If the goal here is to get the person on the phone longer, like what are conceptually some of the things that we're trying to accomplish in that call? And then if we could, I'd, I'd love to just understand a little bit more about the framework too and how you guys approach sure. it. Yeah. So I think the what I like to use here is imagine you were walking down the street and Jason, I paid you $1,000 if you could keep that person in a conversation for five minutes. What would you do? right? You'd probably be very nice and cordial. You wouldn't be threatening, like coming at them right away. You'd probably ask some thought provoking questions, or you'd have something of interest that you think that person would care about. It's no different than a a cold call, right? Like you're not, you're just not going to sit there and see somebody on the street and tell them a million things about yourself and expect them to just stay there. They're going to keep walking. They're going to walk away. So I think that that's sort of the concept getting into this call is how quickly can I let this person know that I understand there's and this isn't like earth shattering by any means, but how quickly can I understand, let them know that I understand their business and the problems that they're facing and establish some credibility around why we would be the best person to solve those problems. And just get them, get them thinking. Right. Just get them into a conversation, actively listening, asking questions, looking for clarification. I think that that's the biggest thing. Yeah. The business acumen is something we talked about a lot, demonstrating in that first 30, 60 seconds that like I understand something about your business. I'm a peer, really differentiating from being a telemarketer, all of that kind of stuff. Um, Do you have any before we get into the framework? Do you have any data around talk like percentage of talk time is always something I'm. I'm curious, but do you have anything around the percentage talk time of prospect versus rep? We don't. We do uh, for our sales pitches, and it's okay. dramatically correlated to the uh, the longer the prospect talks, the more likely they are to buy. I think we all all know that yeah. at this point. But, um, in the cold call, 
I do not. It's something that we we will look into and I can I can dig some things up. I do have a hunch though that there there's a way to have these calls without them doing the majority of the talking. I do think you should do a lot of the talking, but there is yeah. 90 to 10 is not the ratio you're looking for, right? You want to get them yeah. at least at least open it up on a couple questions. Yeah. So what's the what's the uh, framework and the kind of approach look like? Sure. So uh, we want to start the call. And, and just from, from an introduction in general, we look at three things. We want to be clear, we want to be compelling, and we want to be confident. So if I tell you to be confident, that's great. Like, oh, oh, great. I'll just go be confident, right? It, it, that just comes through repetition and practice. So, you know, we like to say you should know your intro like you know your Pledge of Allegiance. And um, it's important that there's two really uncomfortable parts of a call the introduction and the closing. And so I think just in general, like take the, take the uncomfortableness out of it. If that's a word, I think it is take that out of it and just memorize those portions of the call. So when you get to that, it's like framework. Um, But we, you know, we, when we get into it, what we like to do because we work in a lot of service industries is we just simply state that we specialize in blank industry and then we offer up a question around what we know is a key problem or topic in that industry. So, for example, in IT, if I'm calling a manufacturer, I'll say something to the effect of, you know, Jason, uh, I'm reaching out to you because we actually specialize in IT for manufacturing companies just like yourself. And what I've been hearing in the market is they're constantly trying to find ways to become more secure as a business. I was curious, what's, what are some of your strategies around security? And then we teach a very easy framework before you get better at active listening. So what I've found is active listening is tough to teach. It comes with time and experience and getting more comfortable. So very simply, just a very easy thing is when you get into the questioning part of calls is we have relevant topics uh, or so that's a problem or a common theme in the industry. And then we go situation, most consistent issue and what would take it to the next level. So situation is something to affect of how are you handling with, how are you dealing with, what strategies do you have in place? So I want to know their situation. And if ideally, like as I get my sales skills up, I can just ask that question. And if they give me a good answer, I can ask another one actively listening through that. But if you get stuck, which happens for a lot of new reps, the next question is what, what would you say your most consistent issue is with your security? Now, a lot of people will say, well, why would a prospect answer that? You would be surprised. Like a lot of times, at least in the services portion of what we do and a lot of products, honestly, they'll say, you know, they'll open up. Well, this is what I'm dealing with. Right. And then as soon as you have that, like you have the window for the close and you can use what they said to close the call. And then but the last thing is you will have some people like, nope, we don't have any issues. Then you ask them, you know, what would take it to the next level? Or if I was that one, one I like is. Well, what's on your IT wish? What's on your security wish list for this year? What would take your, you know, if you, if I were a genie and I could grant you one wish with your IT, what would it be? Something where you you can't object to it. You have to. I mean, you can be rude and hang up the call, but it's a yeah. And that that just easy framework kind of helps new reps as they're getting into calls. And then you know, I, at any time we teach, if you find an opening, split it open, ask them a question, actively listen, dive deeper into a topic mirror it, repeat it, ask a follow-up question. You know, there's, um, and I guess what, now that I'm here, we have our, our closing, which is 
very similar to a lot of people, but based on, you know, we use it based on what you shared with me today, I would recommend that I sit you down with blank and we like to use the name of the person that they're meeting with. And then we close with two dates and times to try to get them to, you know, would prefer that they object to the time rather than the, the object of the meeting. And then yeah. we have two follow-up closes as well. Two, and the first one is, you know, as well as I do. So a lot of people, most people are comfortable with status quo. So a lot of people are going to say, you know, my security's fine. Like I, I don't have anything in place. And so an example would be, understand you mentioned with your security currently, you feel like you have everything quite, quite in a good spot, but you know, as well as I do, security's changing every day and technology is getting more advanced by the minute. What I would recommend is you sit down with blank to make sure no matter what you have your bases covered and we start this relationship, should we ever see a fit in the future? Two dates, two times. And then the, the last one is the worst case scenario. And I, some people differ on this and a lot of our reps aren't comfortable closing three times in a call. I think you should close three times in a call. Even if you don't set the appointment, you get the truth. You get yeah. what the actual direction is. And then yeah. great, let's nurture and follow up with that partnership. Dude, so much to unpack there. Uh, yeah, sorry, I just <laughs> so, went on. No, this is great. I love that you have examples too. The intro, clear, compelling, confident. That confidence piece that you hit on is so big, but just repetition, knowing. I always recommend the intro and the close, like just like you, very scripted. Like there's no reason that yeah. should be very much different, you know? Um, so getting into that, we specialize in category. We're having conversations with people like you that are running across this and then some sort of provocative question. You know, how are you dealing with this? You know, it's very open-ended. And immediately, this kind of gets the prospect. Um, I think what's really tough in a cold call is typically when people answer the phone, they're multitasking. Right. There's right. a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And another guest, uh, Rod Baptista mentioned, I can't remember if it's mode one or mode two, but there's one of the modes that people in is like autopilot. It's the mode you're in when you're brushing your teeth, right? Or just processing email, not really thinking about stuff. The mode you want to get them in is, oh shit, someone just ran across the road. I'm, I'm alert now, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And this immediately does that at the beginning. You're demonstrating social proof. You're demonstrating credibility. You're telling them just enough about what you do without pitching, which I really like. We specialize in this. That's the other thing I noticed about this is there's no pitch. There's no eh, right. uh, outbound squad. We've been doing this for X amount of years and we were no, none of that kind of stuff. It's not important. And I think what people don't realize is if you demonstrate enough business acumen and engage the prospect, you actually don't have to talk about your solution at all. You just say, we fix those problems. And I'd love right. to, <laughs> to talk with you, you know? Um, 100%. I wanted to ask you about, this is another thing I think is super important is that the... The thing I talk about a lot with objection handling is that there's kind of two types of objections. There's handling the interruption, which is someone that just says not interested or I'm about to go into a meeting. Uh, but the other type of objection, if you, which is a real objection, is just someone objecting to spending more time with you or this rep you're trying to set me up with. I just don't see value in that because we're taken care of. You handle that object like you handle that objection in advance. Right. And do you want to talk a little bit more about like, you're basically telling them what they're going to take away from that meeting, which I think a lot of people don't do, which 
when you're setting appointments for services, you can't say I'm going to do a demo like you can in software. Right. I think it's a good thing actually, because no one wants to come to it. That's not going to be a sticking point for a prospect to see a demo. But can you tell us a little bit more about that piece, the takeaway, the if nothing else, worst case scenario, you're going to get this? Yeah, I think uh, first first off, you have to be confident in the service that you're selling, right? Mm -hmm. So if you truly believe that this service is going to be valuable to the the future customer that you're talking about, you want to do whatever you can to get your business in front of that customer to earn their business. So I think it roots from that. Then... We also happen to work with a lot of industries where if, if you don't have the right IT in place, you're screwed. Like you're yeah. just flat out screwed. So it's it's almost sort of like, are you like, IT is so important to run your business. Literally your whole business depends upon it. The worst case scenario is you would meet with so-and-so for 30 minutes. And if nothing else, you've learned something that you need to implement with your current IT. And I, I just think there's a, uh, there's a, there's, you, you almost want to do it and like, it doesn't make sense. Like, I don't, I don't get why you wouldn't want to meet with so-and-so. And yeah. what I truly believe in though, is that can lead to some meetings where someone's maybe a little bit on the fence, right? With the meeting and it's, they're kind of taking it because, well, the way you framed it makes sense. First of all, I, I fully believe in right person, right company involved in the decision-making process. Give me in front of that person or sorry, yep. right person, right company, and they're going to show up to the meeting, get me in front of that person 100% of the time. Yep. But I think what we, what we do at the end of the calls is we recap the agenda. And that's where you can say, listen, I know you were a little hesitant about the meeting, but I got to tell you, Joe has been in this industry for 15 years and everybody that meets with him leaves with something new. And honestly, a lot of them end up partnering with us. So keep an open mind. Yeah. Like what, you know, it, it's just a, a good way to, to wrap up that call. Yeah, it's executives especially love insights. So if you can share an idea or promise to share an idea and please deliver on that promise, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then one other thing I want to double click on, if we circle back, key decision makers. You said it's kind of obvious. I think it's obvious too, but people don't do it. You know, where you said you're three times more likely to get in touch with that person if you know who they are in advance. And I think it might be kind of obvious if I have someone's cell phone number and I'm and I'm calling them. Sure. But knowing who the other stakeholders might be, I think is super important. I this is something that we teach when someone says I'm not the right person. Oh, that wouldn't happen to be so and so in this department, would it? And even if you're wrong, a person is willing to correct you. But if you are lazy and don't do any research upfront at all about who you're supposed to be talking to, people are just very unwilling to help. I mean, I find the same thing with just multi-threading through the sales process, just knowing who you might want involved and being able to have a name. There's something to that. I think where it's, you just feel like less of a stranger, you know, when you can talk to people. that's That's a great point. And we actually, you know, we'll coach on, you know, data is as good as yesterday, right? People are changing companies all the time and we use the best data sources Shout out Zoom Info. They're, they're one of the best. We, we support them yeah. for sure. Um, but people are changing all the time and it, data can only be so good. We teach use the name on the record regardless of if you think it's the right person or not. Because Sally on the record, who's the controller, is more likely to transfer you to the head of IT than the gatekeeper is. 
So, yep. you know, I, I just think, you know, using that, that makes a ton of sense what you're saying. I completely agree with it. Knowing the different decision makers in the company, having some alternative, what we call alternative context to be able to get in touch with is huge. Yeah. Dude, I love it. We're about out of time. I have uh, some rapid fire questions for you. You ready? Okay. Yes. So I feel like the answer for you might be obvious on this first one. And we don't have to choose, but it's always kind of fun. If you had to choose between phone, email, and social for outbound, uh, what do you pick and why? Phone. How I was born and raised. No, I, I just think there's no better dollar spent than getting somebody, having a direct conversation with an individual is my, yep. obviously I'd pick them all, but if I'm picking one, I'm running a phone campaign. I'm getting really good data. And I'm having a lot of conversations with key decision makers and I'll put that up just against about anybody. What is something you believe about sales that most would disagree with? Okay. I have two and it, I have an interesting perspective because I'm not in the software side of the business. And I know you deal with a lot of, uh, probably a lot of your listeners are in software sales and I do a lot of demos. So two things I would say is I think at times people can over-discover, which is probably controversial and people don't agree with me on. But I think it's better if you have knowledge to fill in the gaps and ask for additions to that knowledge versus I don't want to sit on a call and get uh, banted for 30 minutes as the decision maker. So just fill in the gaps. It's typically, you know, typically when I work with marketing companies like yourself, you know, they typically want to run this decision by their CFO. Is that right? Or is there anybody else that should be involved? Great. We can do that instead of going through 10 questions about that. Um, so that was one. And I'm, I'm happy to hit on that at another time. And then the other thing, uh, at the end of sales calls, I think people need to be a little bit more like, I don't want to twist people's arms to, cold, to, to close, but I've been on many of demos where the software makes complete sense and there's no reason I shouldn't buy it. And they didn't hold me to it or get me to answer that question. Yeah. Which is interesting, but just say, Hey, when I say, yeah, you know, I don't know. I need to look at some things or, you know, I don't think this is a priority right now. Hey, Eric, based on what you shared with me, a, B and C, this doesn't make sense. Like why wouldn't you move forward? That question added to some calls, I think would close some more deals for some reps. Yeah. Again, one of those very simple things, just simply asking, you know, for the sale is, uh, is big. Uh, and lastly, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself as a rookie sales professional? As a rookie sales professional, I would say start reading now. Start reading now. I think the uh, it took me probably two or three years into my career before I really started investing in my growth and reading books and podcasts. And it's, you know, you can, I, I've been lucky enough to have our CEO as a mentor and he's helped me every step of the way. And if I wouldn't have, wouldn't have had him, I wouldn't know 90% of what I know, but that 10% I went and got from reading a book a month is what takes you to the next level because a lot of people aren't willing to do it. So that's what separates you. Love it. Um, we got to take off. Uh, this has been great. Make sure if you're listening, subscribe on Spotify, Apple podcast, wherever you listen, leave us a review and where can people go check out you abstract. You guys got a podcast as well. Where should people go? Yeah. 
So you can, my LinkedIn, uh, Eric Watkins, I'm sure you'll, you'll link me when you, you post this. You can look at our website, abstractmg.com. It's spelled with a K because we're a little different. A-B-S-T-R-A-K-T-M-G.com. And then you can look us up on Spotify as well. We have a, uh, a podcast called The Grow Show. And it's myself, uh, my counterpart, Jeff Winters, who owned and uh, took a company from zero to 20 million. And then our CEO, who's owned and operated multiple businesses and bring on incredible guests like Jason. So we'd love for you to check some of those out. We're trying to give the, the secrets, right? What, what's helped us grow this business.